The sermon tonight is from Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jack. It's good to be with you all today. Um, What a joy it is to worship with you all and to um, share some truth from God's word. At Trinity Church, where I pastor, um, we're going through a sermon series in the book of Acts. Um, it was asked that I preach on the book of Acts as, as we were cu- wondering, some people in our church were wondering, what, what can we learn from the early church? Because the early church sets an example, it sets a model, and it sets um, something that we could look at um, as we consider how to navigate through Um, this new season of life that we are all in. As uh, I was preparing for this sermon, I was reminded, or I had a question that that came up to me. What, and this is a question for you all, what was the first kind of world event that you remember? For myself, um, the the major event that I remember was the Challenger uh, explosion. When the space shuttle went up into space, and um, it was an exciting time where the first teacher was supposed to go up into space and they were going to do science experiments up in space. And unfortunately, the Challenger blew up and crashed, uh, crashed into the Atlantic or the Gulf of Mexico. That was probably the first event that I remember um, in my youth. And I think we all have some sort of world, major world event that we all remember. And obviously, as in this season of pandemic or COVID or whatever this, these last few years have been, this has been a, um, a major event. Um, it's, it's kind of strange in the sense that it's an event that doesn't have, well, really a this is when it started sort of thing. It kind of slowly ramped up and it kind of slowly carries on and it kind of, kind of, forces us to wonder and to ponder, but it also challenges us to consider, considers us, it challenges us to consider how do we navigate this new normal that we're in? This new normal where all these things that made sense to us, all all these things, especially institutions that were so firmly in place over the course of our lifetime, 
kind of to pivot or to change or to um, learn anew what it means, what it means to exist. And what it means, and, and for us as those, as followers of Jesus, we have to wonder, as a family, what does it mean to be the family of Christ in this season? In this season of instability, in this season where there is so many unknowns, in this season which we feel like there's one crisis after the other, one challenge after the other. And so as I was studying the book of Acts, as I was studying this passage, I was um, challenged, actually, to look at Acts with fresh eyes. Now, this passage that you just heard Caroline read, it's one that I think is familiar with mo- for many of us. And when I first read this passage, before I started meditating on it deeply, it was very straightforward to me. This is a passage on how the ministry of deacons were started. It's a passage that explains the difference in the roles that elders or pastors, which are called to explicitly here, it says, to pray and to preach, how that ministry and the ministry of deacons who are called to meet the physical needs of people are differentiated. That's kind of the point of this passage, or at least that's what I thought it was as I was reading this. And yet as I meditated and as I reflected on this, I said, no, the word of God is not stale, nor is it dead. It is alive. And he has something to speak to us through this passage today. Now, so before we get into this, please join me in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to preach your word here at First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco. What a joy it is, even more than that, to worship you on this, the Lord's Day. What a joy it is to praise you, to confess our sins, to pray, to give thanks, and shortly to partake in communion together and with you. What a joy it is to be gathered together as your people. So I pray that I would be faithful to your scripture I pray that you would anoint me to proclaim your word, your gospel, and that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see the beauty of your gospel in the word and in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So this this passage comes at a critical time in the new church, church's history. It comes perhaps at the first real internal threat, the first real internal challenge that the church has to deal with. Now, prior to this, we have a couple of threats that are going on where the apostles keep getting thrown into jail and they get, keep getting drawn to trial in front of the priests and the Sanhedrin. We've had the threat of Ananias and Sapphira Um, trying to deceive the community. Yet this is a very new threat. A threat where we see the potential for a split, for schism, the potential, the, the first internal conflict 
within this new community, this new family that Jesus Christ has assembled. And so I want to bring up three quick points that I want to draw your eyes to. The first point that I want to draw your eyes to is that a complaint arose. Now, the complaint was that the Hellenist widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of the food by the Hebrews. There are these two groups, similar but different, right? They're both ethnically Jewish, as the church still was majority Jewish. And yet these Hellenists were people who took on more Greek culture. They were people where Greek was their first language. They were perhaps a little more elite within the, 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 the scope of the Roman Empire. But they were kind of the minorities in Jerusalem, where the Hebrews, who spoke Aramaic as their primary language, were the leaders. Now, the Hebraic Jews had a prejudicial sense of superiority over their Grecian brethren because of their own birthplace and language. We speak Aramaic. We were born here in Jerusalem, in the Promised Land. And there was a lack of communication between these groups. And what happens when there's a lack of communication? It fosters suspicion. Now, human diversity, an unfortunate truth is that human diversity will often bring with it opportunities for prejudicial division and injustice. And this is a crisis that the church is facing at this moment. The Hebraic Jews the Hellenists, struggling with being caught together as one family because they were mesmerized and they were captivated by Jesus. And yet there were these very real differences between these two groups. Now, this complaint arises right after, right after we hear some of the most beautiful passages of, of collaboration and cooperation. In Acts 4, it said that the believers were one in heart and mind and shared everything they had. How does it go from a place, a place of beauty, just a couple of verses earlier, to a place of tension? of conflict, where people are being neglected, where complaints arise. Now, I think for all of us, wherever we are in our spiritual journey, we realize that we are quick to have conflict, where peace is fleeting, and where conflict, unfortunately, seems to be especially in this season, more a reality. And so, in some ways, it's, the miracle was that there was this amazing sense of one in heart and mind, and that this complaint, in some ways, feels like the, the, new, the, the normal. And in the midst of all this, there's a crisis second thing I want to point to your attention was that a solution was proposed. 
And the solution was proposed by the apostles. They said, pick out seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom. And this pleased the whole gathering, which is really peculiar as well. Because you have Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Pumba, I, I, I mean Parmenas, Nicholas. Now, one of the things that we need to realize is that these men that were picked, they all have Greek names. So they're probably Hellenistic Jews. Now, if I was a member of the Hebraic Jews, I'd have a problem with that. Where's the fairness in that? Where is the representation from the, 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 the Hebrews? Why is it all the Grecian Jews? Yet somehow this pleased them. Obviously, it must have pleased the Grecian Jews to think that there was favor being put on them. For some of them were, for all of them were Greek, were, were Greek named and, and they probably understood their plight. And that there was some sort of joy they were pleased because this was allowed by the Hebraic Jews. There's a small miracle here where the Hebraic Jews didn't complain, even though they could have felt slighted. Where's our representation? Yet, it pleased the whole gathering, and we don't know how or why, and I believe that's a small miracle that we see here. And the great miracle that comes out of this crisis, this challenge, is that the word of God continued to increase. The word of God continued to increase, and the numbers of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, it says. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, I never noticed that last part of the passage great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, the priests are the ones that, are, that should be and were the ones who were most opposed to this new movement of Jesus' followers, right? They were the ones who had the most at stake. They're the ones persecuting the church. They're the ones that, say, that are saying, no, Jesus couldn't have been the Messiah. It would be a problem to believe that Jesus is the Messiah because over, it challenges their power it challenges everything that they know about this world. It challenges their livelihood. But somehow, some way, Luke reminds us that a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Why? You know, Luke doesn't explain that either. But what's really fascinating here is that as, as this is a passage, once again, that where we, where we look and we see and we remember that this is kind of like where the, the ministry of the deacon, deacons begin. That there is a ministry going on here. Actually, there's two big ministries going on here that both have the same root word as deacon, diaconia. Now, diaconia service, it's waiting, it's, it's ministry, 
These are all words that get translated, that diakonia gets translated into English. And what's really fascinating here is that in the original Greek, when you read it, it says in, in verse 1, it says, Now in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily diakonia. Later on, in verse 4, the apostles say, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the diaconia of the word. And so we see here in both the practical needs of the widows, as well as in the proclamation of the gospel and in the teaching of the word, that Luke uses the same word, diaconia, service, distribution, ministry, waiting. And I think Luke does that to remind us. He reminds us that service goes, that diaconia happens both in service as well as in the preaching of the word. And that these Jewish priests must have heard and seen the diaconi of the apostles and the diaconi of the seven. At least that's what I think. I, I have nowhere to prove that. But I think it's, it's this place where we see the gospel proclaimed both in word and in deed. And so, this is a beautiful way of how the church, the early church, navigated through this big challenge, a complaint which, uh, which, through which a solution was proposed. And because of that, the word of God continued to increase. Now, I think we now, 2,000 plus years later, face our own challenges. We face our own struggles as we try to understand what does it mean to be the people of God now? What does it mean to be the people of God after the season of COVID after the season of pandemic, or while we still continue to navigate through it. It's not over. How do we navigate through this new normal? And there are some challenges that we need to address. I think one challenge that we need to address is that oftentimes um, we get caught up into main character syndrome. Y'all know that term? Main character syndrome is this phenomenon where um, people um, think and act as if they're the main character of this world. Where in order to project an image, they'll, put, they'll go onto social media and they'll do things. And, um, and there's a, a, a Reddit forum called I'm the Main Character. And it's about all these people getting upset because of other people not cooperating with, with, their, um, with their internet clicks. I think there's one where this woman is trying to do this yoga pose in the middle of the gym where she's working out in. And so she has her iPhone propped up against a, something and she's doing these poses and this, these people keep constantly walking in front of her iPhone and keep ruining her beautiful poses. And so she finally gets upset and, and looks at the camera shows that she's frustrated, and of course she uploads it, right? Because she's the main character. 
And I think this season has caused us to act even more as if it's all about ourselves. I think we all do it, but some of us do it more than others. And that kind of manifests itself out in challenging ways. It means that we try to be the ones that make everything happen. As a pastor, I know I try to do that at my church. It's my job to make everything happen. If I don't, then it'll all fall apart. And yet, I've come to realize that that's not the truth. Over the last month or so, my mom has been on the verge of dying, and I've had to put some of my responsibilities on the back burner as I navigated through the season. And somehow, some way, if, and perhaps because I got out of the way, things have been going amazing at our church. In me getting out of the way and saying that I don't have to make everything happen, people have stepped up. People have shown me love. People have cared on me. And it's been an amazing way to see the spirit move and the church be the church. So I'm grateful for that. For some of us, we also act as it's all about ourselves. And we read the Bible. That was written for me. We read the Bible as that it is a special personalized love letter specifically for me. I don't know about you, but that was what I was taught growing up in Sunday school. That the Bible was a special love letter that God wrote just for me. And yet, it's more than that, isn't it? He did write it for me, perhaps. But more importantly, he wrote it for the whole world. But he wrote it for the glory of Jesus. And that's another thing, is that we forget that Jesus is the main character of this story. We forget that. We think that we are the main characters, but Jesus is the main character. And as the main character, we are called to live as he did. We're called to follow him, to love God and to love our neighbor. To serve God and to serve our neighbor. And we are freed from the burdens of trying to be the main character. Jesus reminds us that we're not the main character. So stop pretending that we are. Because life is so much more easy when we allow Jesus to be the main character. We can't save ourselves. So we need to stop trying. Jesus is the only one that can save us and save this world. So some of us struggle to be the ma with main character syndrome. Others of us, we struggle with NPC syndrome. Non-player character syndrome. Right? Y'all have played video games, especially RPGs. You know, the non-player character is a game that is, is a character that is controlled by the computer and typically interacts with the player through simple and repetitive sort of actions. You know, you go up, you're using your character, you go up to this villager, and you click your, the A button, and the villager says, hi. And then you walk away, and you go back, and the villager says, hi. And then you walk away, and you go back, and the villager says, hi. And 
all they do is say the same line over and over and over. Now, some main character syndrome people think of, of everyone that's not part of their world as NPCs as well. But sometimes we think of ourselves as NPCs, as non-player characters. And we think that we can't do anything. It's not my job. It's the leadership's job to make everything happen. Now imagine if the early church said that, or if the apostles believed that. If that happened, then the ministry of word and prayer that the apostles were tasked with would have suffered the widows would have, would have continued to be neglected. And instead of the word of God continuing to increase, the word of God would have been snuffed out, perhaps. Yet God, just as when he, through the apostles and through the community, raised up seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom. God is raising up people here, here in San Francisco, here at First Press, here at Trinity as well. People with good repute, full of the spirit and full of wisdom. I believe that. I believe that every Christian, God is calling us, he's calling us all to be leaders. And every Christian, God is calling to be a servant. Now, you might feel that you can't do anything. And I think that's, there's, there's some truth to that. But the bigger truth is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to do things that we thought, that we think are impossible. For some reason, in some way, God has sustained First Pres over the course of this pandemic. He hasn't even just sustained it, but he's grown it. Right? He continues to be faithful. And God challenges us. He, I believe he's challenging us to really live into the moment. So then, church, how do we work together? I think there's a beautiful diversity found here at First Pres, similar to what we see over at Trinity as well, where we have people from different backgrounds coming together because we're all amazed by Jesus. That we've come together in spite of our differences. Because we find that there's something here. Something that's different. And I think that is the spirit. This is the same sort of challenge that the Hellenic and Hebraic Jews were going through in, in, in this chapter. And I believe that the only way that they were able to do that, and the only way that we're able to do that, is to see one another as family in Christ. Now, you got to understand that when these widows decided to be a part of the Jesus movement, that they gave up all their safety nets. They knew that by following Jesus, that their safety nets in their community 
would have to be gone. And they had to trust and believe that this new family full of strangers would actually be the ones who would care for them. And we see the church stepping up to that task. And the only way that they were able to do it was they, when they were able to truly see themselves as family in Christ. And I believe that's when God shows up. We need to see each other not as NPCs or strangers, but as family. And I think that's the greatest strength that I see here at First Pres. I see a very similar spirit at Trinity. And it's a spirit where we care about one another. I love the prayer time that we have that Corey just led us in right before this. And whenever people from Trinity visited um, here at First Press, that's the first thing that everyone comments about. Is the way that you all pray for one another, the way that you all are vulnerable, the way that you all know and carry each other's burdens. care for one another really challenges challenges all of us to do church to do Christianity to, do, to be as a family and that means that we make sure that no one's neglected in the daily distribution of food there's practical needs that we don't neglect but there's also Ways where we make sure that no one's neglected of the daily distribution of the gospel, of prayer. And I think this is a, a wonderful verse because it reminds us, especially those of us in leadership, people like, like Pastor Chris, like Corey, and like Ted, that these elders are to be held accountable to study scripture and to be in prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so I encourage you all, as Chris asked for earlier, to pray for his holiness, but also to pray for him as he studies scripture, as he prays, and as he ministers the word. And the same for Corey and the same for Ted. At the same time, I encourage all of us to, cha to be challenged, to pray, to study the word regularly, because these are the rhythms that will carry us through this season. We need one another, and we need to communicate with one another. We need to know one another and to love one another. To summarize, if I were to say, to be asked, what is Acts 6 really about? Sure, it's about God putting together the diaconate and, and, and it explains the difference between the roles of pastor and deacon. But more important than that, perhaps, we see that God's people and God's power need to work together to address the God-sized challenges for the sake of God's mission. That was true then. I think it's true now as well. If you're not yet a Christian, Christ invites you to join him in bringing healing and transformation to this world. To join into his mission. 
and into God's people and into God's family. And if you are a Christian, God is calling us right now to be God's people, to be his family, and to rely on his power and his spirit to work together to address the God-sized challenges for the sake of God's mission and for the sake of of the glory of Jesus Christ. Please join me in a word of prayer.